Welcome to today's episode of the Support Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Bryony Mulkern, Community Manager at Sentisum. Today, my guest is Thibaut Martin, Head of Customer Experience at Victrium. We're going to be talking about steps that you can take to change the perception of your customer support department from a cost center to a value center. Hello, Thibaut. Thank you very much for joining me on today's episode. Hey, Bryony. Thanks. Thanks for welcoming me. Happy to be there. Great, it's lovely to have you. So would you mind please giving me a little bit of an introduction on you and your background and your role? Yeah, of course. So yeah, Thibaut, French, uh, as you can say from the name, 32 years old. I arrived in Amsterdam a bit more than three years ago. And my most recent experience, I was the head of the customer experience at Autrium. So it's a fashion marketplace for unsold items, if you want to make it really simple. But yeah, before that, I always like to introduce a bit my experience by saying that I actually was an agent myself when I started my career about eight years ago. So I've been on the phone on chat with customers myself and some of them really demanding ones. Uh, So I know what it is to be challenged a bit from that perspective. And I think that's also something that I'm using in my day to day to actually understand what we can do to improve processes for the customers. And yeah, so that's a bit my background. And for the past three years, I think we'll discuss about it, but I've been trying to uh, structure and build the customer support team at at Autrium. And that's a bit the story uh, of my background, yeah. That's awesome. I love that you started in support as well. That's the same with so many guests that I've had on there. I think you really develop an understanding and a love and develop those soft skills with when it comes to the importance of customers in an organization when you start there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's also where I didn't mention, but at some point I actually moved to a sales job. At some point I was account manager and that's where I realized that I was missing this part of being really, of course, I was in contact with customers, but it was a different approach, I would say. And that's what brought me back basically to the customer care, customer service, whatever you want to call it. Great. So as you just mentioned, you've been, or you were with Oatrium for three years and you've essentially built their support model to support all of their growth in that time. Mm-hmm. And one of the achievements over that period that you told me about was that you were able to reduce response times quite significantly. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how you've managed that? Yeah, of course. So yeah, I've been with Autrium actually. That's my last month this month. So it was a nice ride of a few years. So when I arrived, to be honest, everything had to be a bit structured. It was still a young company and a young customer support department, I would say. So yeah, what we achieved basically is when I arrived, we were looking mainly at one KPI, which was the response time, which was already interesting, but we were not doing really well. And it was like basically between 24 to 30 hours that we had to, I mean, the time it took us to actually answer our customers and it was not good enough. We were receiving a lot of complaints. Actually, we were not tracking CSAT back then. So I'm sure we would have really low CSAT if we had that KPI. But yeah, mainly we were seeing that in reviews that we were seeing coming. So one big thing that was asked from me was to actually find ways to reduce that. And that's something we managed to do. Because I think after one year and a half, two years, we actually managed to get this response time to four to eight hours as a business as usual. We had an ambition to go even lower than that, but then we also realized that it would have a huge cost to actually go one step further. So we wanted to stabilize first there to see what we can still improve and then see if there is a need to go even lower. And yeah, and I think there are mainly three pillars that we worked on to actually achieve that. I think the first one was really about looking at our processes and automations. And what I mean by that is, as I was saying, the structure was really basic. There were agents 
and that's it. <laughs> a lot of them were freelancers. A lot of them were interns. So we really looked at, okay, what are the processes that we need to map, really understand what are the different kind of escalation that exist, and also understand what part of it can be automated from that perspective. So we could create then a second layer of agents that would be more experts in some specific parts of what we were doing. So you had people really specifically trained on delivery and logistical questions, some on the finance ones and some on things related a bit more to our discount codes and marketing or retention activity that we had because we were doing a lot of discount code and sometimes it was creating a lot of issues also for our customers. So basically that's where we started, really understanding processes, remap them and try to see what could be automated out of it. The second pillar was more about our tools, basically, because we were only using one tool back then, uh, was Zendesk, and nothing nothing else, basically. So it was really understanding, okay, this is the vision we have. Those are the processes and the automation that we want to make happen. How do we make it happen from a technology stack perspective? And basically, that's where we realized that Zendesk was not really answering our needs at that time. I'm not saying that it's not a good tool, but it was not really answering our needs. And that's where we made the switch to actually go for Dexa, which was still a young competitor there. But what we were looking for was really a lot of support because we had a lot of ideas. We had a lot of needs, I would say, also from a technical perspective, but we were not receiving the support from Zendesk but in the time that we really needed. And that's what Dixa really enabled us to unlock basically. And also I was looking for a solution that was super easy for our agents in terms of the experience and the interface that it's almost like you're at home. You don't need to learn some super complex processes to find information about your customers or whatever. And sometimes you have some tools that are a bit more overwhelming for the agents themselves. And I think that's also one thing that we took into consideration when we switched to Dixa. So those are the main things. And I think the last thing that we really worked on was to get the right people. Because as I said, really early, we had mainly interns, mainly students. They were doing the best they could, of course, but in terms of quality, it was not to the standard that we wanted to generate. So we could have a good customer satisfaction. So yeah, that's where we started to restructure a bit our strategy around customer support and the people that we wanted to bring in. And I think that's where we basically kickstarted our outsourcing strategy with a partner that is located in Spain, Valencia. And the idea was not purely based on cost because it's still relatively costly compared to other places in the world that you can find. But we wanted to find a place where we can find people that are Dutchies, German people, French, whatever, that are maybe already there. Some of them were there for gap years or people that we find maybe in their country that are okay to relocate to this place. And Valencia is a nice sunny place. So we were able to find some really nice profile to actually do that. And yeah, and that's where we started to see a huge shift in terms of quality of the people that we got for the customer support team. But it also forced us to actually revamp fully the training and the quality framework that we had to make sure that we would maintain, I would say, this level of quality that we delivered thanks to them. But yeah, I think those are the main things that enabled that to happen. That sounds excellent. That sounds like a really nice rounded approach to help that response time from loads of different angles. I really like that. I wonder if it might have actually worked in your favor that you only had this one metric to start with. So you could just focus on that, improving that one thing. And then while doing that, these other metrics would naturally sort of improve as well. Yeah, I think so. yeah, I think in a way, yes, because that's also sometimes a bit, I guess it's not only in, in customer support, but in all departments, sometimes you are 
loaded with KPIs that you track, you have 10, 20 KPIs sometimes to report on, and then you lose sight on what is the most important. And I think indeed, like response time is, I mean, we made surveys to, with our customers to ask them, okay, what is the most important for you? The speed of response always came top in our case. But there was also a limit where we understood that below six hours, they don't really care. So that's why we didn't push more than four hours of response time and things like this. But indeed, being like really focused on that, laser focused on that, mm-hmm. enabled us. Then we also launched CSAT next to that after, which is also an interesting KPI. But we also saw basically the improvements and the benefits of actually lowering the response time, impacting other KPIs in the right sense. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. And that approach clearly worked because you did reduce that significantly. So you said it was 24 to 30 hours to start with, and you managed to get that down to between four and eight. So that's really, really excellent. And not only that, Oatrium have quite an impressive Trustpilot score. I believe you've got four and a half stars on Trustpilot at the moment. Yeah, actually, we were at 4.7 at some point, even we went a bit down. But some reason behind that, I think it's really, as I was saying, the speed of resolution is something, as I was saying, we made surveys to understand what is the most important to our customers. And we asked them the question directly. And I think it's something that, yeah, we shouldn't be afraid to do because at the end, we are doing our job for the customers. And if they say that it's okay for them to have an answer in 12 hours, but they really want a super personalized, super high quality contact where potentially our agents are staying 20 minutes on the phone with them, then maybe that's what we need to go after. But in this case, yeah, they were really after the response time. And that's what we really focused on. And as I was saying, whenever we were improving really drastically on this KPI, we were immediately seeing the impact on Trustpilot, on the reviews, people saying, okay, we got a really fast answer. I'm super happy about about it. And my items were really great also. But on the opposite, it was super reactive also when we were not delivering. So if we are, it happened multiple times in, in my three years that we were stuck in backlogs for multiple reasons. Sometimes it was a product issue. Sometimes it was huge delays in deliveries, especially during the COVID. It was a big challenge from a logistical perspective. And whenever we were going closer to 10, 12 hours, and sometimes we were back to 24 hours some weeks because some reason that we couldn't really foresee, immediately you saw, you would see basically people coming and putting reviews, oh, the customer speed of answer is really bad right now. And that's something that was really reactive in both sides, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and I think the second part is actually more related to our logistic It's a bit outside of my scope, but I think there was a really important part of my job that was like to stay in touch with the logistics team and the marketing team, because I think something that sometimes we were not doing well was that we were over-promising things on our website. So we were claiming, for example, your delivery will arrive in two days, but actually it was taking three days or four days. And I have seen multiple times people either on on tickets or on review saying, okay, I've placed this order. You were saying on your website that it will be there in two days. It was meant to be used for my friend's wedding or for my weekend in in Madrid or whatever. And now what do we do? I'm not going to receive it before. So that's the kind of thing. So where we also realize that we need to be super close and really break silos between all those departments to stay on top of what should be transparently communicated on our website. And I think usually that's what you hear, but... It's better to under-promise and over-deliver than the opposite. And sometimes we unfortunately made the mistake to do the opposite and you could directly see the impact on reviews. And that's why we also try to 
change the, the approach also so we can try to surprise our customers by being a bit more efficient than what they thought we would we would do. So I think it's also about transparency and communication whenever possible. Yeah, I could not agree more with everything you've just said. And under-promise and over-deliver is essentially my rule for life. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't really disappoint anyone, can you? And what you just said there about the impact that customer support and timely customer support has on your trust pilot, that's so, so true. Because you will often see if you sometimes I if I have a little bit of time on my hands, I might actually take some public trust pilot reviews and analyze them in Sentisum just mm-hmm. to kind of see what's going on trend wise. And the amount of them that are because of support or bad customer service or poor response time is enormous. And people do have knee jerk reactions if they're not getting a reply and they're having an issue they'll go and write a negative review because it will get them some attention. Yeah. And that's also interesting because I don't remember where, but I've learned that actually people that tend to give you negative response or reviews are usually people that really love you in a way as a company because they feel like you are changing or there is something different that's going to happen and they are really hurt almost internally by it. And that's why they, and that's how they react. And that's also something that you can experience. For example, I remember, I think it was a Scottish guy that was really pissed off at us. And I called him and he was really like, really using bad words in the emails and the exchange because it was really intense basically. And when I had him on the phone, the conversation went super smoothly actually because he was super happy that I called him as the head of the department explaining what happened and trying to to show him that we were listening to him and that we were doing our best basically to, to solve his issue. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. Of course, you have exceptions. Sometimes there's people that are mean to be mean, but most of the people are actually not in this state of mind. And it's just that they are afraid. They are happy. At some point, they were happy with what you were doing and they see things not going the right way or not working as they, they would expect. And that's usually where they go in this more negative space. And that's where you can also, I think, do a lot for the retention of your brands because that's the kind of people, if you are able to switch them again to the positive side, I think I don't have the numbers in mind, but I think that's people that you can really keep from a loyalty perspective for a long time if you manage to switch them again. Yeah, definitely. People do develop quite close relationships with the brands that they interact with quite regularly. They have this standard of service that they expect to receive in terms of the product quality, the delivery, the support. So then if those start to fall away it is really sort of upsetting for the customer because they've been Mm -hmm. this this high standard this is the brand that i love and i supported for years why are they suddenly lowering their standards yeah exactly yeah and you've just mentioned there about people who can come across really quite angry in messages they can come across upset and i know that you've been part of the process at Otrium of signing up with Sentisum to gather yeah. insights on your support conversations. Obviously, part of that being sentiment, part of that being tags. Mm-hmm. You mentioned your focus more recently has been in tying revenue to customer issues so that you can get that buy-in from wider teams mm-hmm. using those insights. Could you tell me a bit about that process and how you calculate that? Yeah, so I think it has been kind of a challenge for us since the beginning saying, okay, and I think it's also a challenge for a lot of customer support leaders out there because usually what I've seen is that customer support is maybe the first place where you cut costs basically and you just, yeah, it's easy. You just uh, reduce agents. Yeah, it's not going to have a big impact, but it does basically. And one thing that we are missing since the beginning is the data to actually show 
what is the impact of my customer support operation on potentially customer lifetime value or NPS. And we were missing those basic data to understand, okay, what is the trend? Are we reducing on those key pain points or not? And so on. So since the beginning, we are really in this phase of how do we build this data? Because we were a bit on our own, to be honest. It was more like, how do we build that inside the customer support team? Because unfortunately, our product team had, and tech team had other priorities. And it was always like about finding kind of a solution for ourselves. So I think at the beginning, we were a bit maybe too positive about our capacity, but we really tried to even build this model ourselves for a long time. We were like looking, okay, we have people that have some capabilities. Maybe we'll just try to build it and take this road basically, which enabled us to learn some things. We have seen some interesting data coming out of it, but we also realized how much needs in terms of maintaining that, in terms of integrating multiple channels, because we have Trustpilot, you have our CSET, you have NPS, you have all these different points that are gathering information and how do you make sense of all of them in one place? That's where we also started to struggle. And I think in a way, that's where we also potentially lost a bit of time and instead of just going for solution like SenseSum that are there. It's almost plug and play. You just say, okay, we use Dexa, you plug it. If you have other sources, you have to, to look at it. But I think it's relatively easy to be almost from one day to another kind of live and already seeing some data insights coming from the platform. But our approach was really to understand, okay, in our case, my cost is super easy to understand. I have some cost in terms of my staff, in terms of my training, my tools. So I have the capability to take this data out super easily. What is more difficult is to show the revenue that we are generating because we are not a sales team, basically. And the route that we took is really to look at the difference that you see in the retention between people that received the high quality support and the people that didn't contact the support, basically. And that's where like a tool like Sensism also enables us to really segment and drill down the data to understand, okay, what are the buckets that you can see and understand what is the impact on the fin final KPI that is the most important to you, basically. In our case, we were looking really at NPS. I know there are pros and cons to NPS and a lot of people have different views on that, but the idea was to be able to say, okay, thanks to the data that we're we taking away, we feel that if we solve this issue that is coming as the biggest pain point, we feel like the impact on the NPS is going to be plus two points or three points or whatever, and try to segment that based on that. But I think there are different ways to do it, of course. And if your team, for example, your customer support team has some responsibility in terms of doing some expansion or upgrades, like I was doing when I was an agent, I was actually <laughs> tasked to pitch some customers. I mean, that's also something that you can use, I would say, to show the revenue. But uh, I think it's, there is no, it's a really complex issue. It's still in the making to, to really use Sentisum to the maximum and then use that in our internal decision-making and things like this. But I think if you are able to really nail that and use that, then it makes the life of the customer support leaders so much easier because you have a tangible data that you can show. If we do that, this, that's what we're going to save. And then it's much more easier to get some buy-in space. Yeah, definitely. Because then there's the point as well that the other departments need to remember is that a single customer support ticket doesn't only represent one customer because not every customer contacts support when they have an issue. Some just quietly like stew away. Some will just cancel if they're having a bad experience or won't order again or will stop their existing order if they're having a bad experience. So fixing an issue that one person's experiencing actually mm. has 
much brighter, wider ripple effect. It's just hard to calculate. Yeah, yeah. And I think every company has a different view, so it's difficult. But I think the base of all of this is having the right data. I mean, having a tool or a way to extract the data and segment it and see it in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And that's what we were not able to do before discussing uh, with Scientism, basically. And I think those tools are really important for the future. And it's going to be even more complex when you speak about bots and automation. I mean, there are so many things coming also. Everything is going super fast in the future. So yeah, I think you need to have something, a tool that is able to do the job of multiple people right away. It's delivered to you in the package right away and you can act on it. Yeah. And something interesting, one of our customers said to me recently, I went and met them for lunch and they were saying that even just things like the tags that enabled you to get these insights, you know, you tried to set up something similar initially at Otrium before getting sent to some, but the people who are your agents, they have higher skills than just tagging tickets or putting data into a spreadsheet and things like that. They have those personal soft skills that a bot could never replicate. So allowing them to spend their time doing things that are best suited to their skills and leaving the data and the tech to a piece of software that is designed to do that is only further enabling your team and your people. Yeah, exactly. And especially tags, for example, was a bit not a fail, but it's super difficult to make it work because uh, first, there is human error. So sometimes if you have too many tags, too complex and so on, so most of the time they end up not selecting the right one. Mm-hmm. And also what we realized in some cases, I think the actual percentage of tickets that we were really tagged by our agent was below 60%, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So then of course you can correct that by training, quality and so on, but it's still not kind of accurate enough. So you can use it regularly and customer support every day. You need to have a look at, okay, what's going on? Is there something that we didn't catch yesterday and maybe a new trend or a new issue coming up and you need to be on top of that. So uh, that's where machine learning and automation and AI is going to be a huge help for that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And AI is only getting smarter and smarter. Yeah, I think that's a big topic everywhere. And I know uh, you and other companies are there, the trend right now to injury. But yeah, I think there is no denying that it's going to be a huge game changer for that because as you were saying, the idea is to what are the tasks that you can basically take away confidently from your agents so they can focus on maybe the 20% of the time that is really about complex issue, creating deep relationship. And for example, at Otrium, we always had this in mind that the day we can really take those really basic things out and all those out of the agents, we want to go maybe more from a resolution team to a discussion team where potentially we are in fashion. So maybe you want to have personal shopper or like this kind of relationship or things that you put in place. So your user become really close to some of your agents. And it's also then a way to create value again for them. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're currently very focused on spreading teachings, learning sort of on LinkedIn and other on other platforms about changing the perception of a customer support center, which currently exists in a lot of places as a cost center into a value center. What different areas do you think feed into sort of changing that perception within an organization? Yeah, that's a wide topic. But yeah, indeed, that's something that I kind of develop a bit also through my own experience and also realizing and networking a bit in the space, realize that it's a bit of an issue that is everywhere, I would say. And I think it's something that I hold close to my heart. So I think, yeah, I think the first thing for me, it's always 
coming back to data. It's a bit the, the buzzword, but it's, um, yeah, when you know what's happening, it's super easy for you to then try to make the shift and just say, okay, if we use that data, those insights from our customer in the right way, then we can create something, an experience for our customers. And, and I think recently I've read in one article, I don't remember exactly where, but they were saying that 80, a bit more than 80% of customer, if they have two, as much as two bad experience with your customer support, they will leave you forever. And I think it was 45% of them only after one, they already leave. So I think it's huge numbers. Like you cannot just wing it. And I think it's super important that you understand what are the things that are not working currently and what are the things that are generating maybe really low CSAT? Is it only the resolution time? Is it maybe some specific topics, maybe trends that you see in your reviews and things like this and really understand maybe there is just one product line. I don't know. Some things sometimes are super specific. So I think it's super important that you can use and leverage your data the way you need it to actually unearth those things. But I think then for me in this discussion, value versus cost, I think there is a big component of actually culture and I mean company culture and employee culture and what you try to make inside your company and I think something that I'm trying to that's my view I know sometimes it's a bit difficult to put in place I would say my perspective is that every CEO every C-levels out there they should at least once a quarter go into the customer support team shadow some agents and even answers to some tickets because I think it's easy to put on a and that's where maybe I'm a bit trying to go for a catchy phrase, but I think it's easy to put on a slide that we are a customer-centric company and that we do this, 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 this. But if it's not coming from the top and if those people from the senior management are not really investing even just one hour, a quarter to actually go and see on the front line what it, it's like, I think it's difficult to really understand because, yeah, of course, you can have reports. Of course, you have data coming, but I think there is nothing that replaces the time that you invest yourself to maybe have a discussion or to just listen to a call and so on. So I think there is a big, I'm a big advocate of like switching this. So it should be mandatory for everyone from those senior management layers to actually be involved more into that. And I think if you don't do that, you are not truly a customer centric company. And, and I think it's just that sometimes now I have the feeling that everyone is putting out there, we are a customer centric company, but what do you do really to show that you are? And I think that's the kind of action that I would expect from someone that is customer centric. And I've seen it even when I was at Google, I remember really, I placed a director that joined from another company. And the first thing she did was actually coming with us, sitting next to me. She had like 20 years of experience at Coca-Cola and she was asking me really basic questions to understand what was going on basically. And I think it was a huge inspiration for me that whatever your experience, whatever the knowledge or how intelligent you are, that's the kind of behavior that I would love to see in all those companies. And that's the only way for me to, to be truly close to what your customers are saying. Yeah, that's 100% right. And there's a couple of guests that I've had on here before who have said that they they do that in their companies and it shows because their results in terms of their customer happiness their sentiment their retention their scores those things are all going really well for them and it's no coincidence it's because they live those values from the inside out not just where the customer can see it where mm -hmm. people from other teams will come and sit with support and shadow but also the other way around and support will go and spend time within the product and see things from another perspective and take those learnings to speak to the customer. It's super, super valuable. Yeah, for sure. 
So as you've just said, there's loads and loads of different facets that go into creating this value center perception. Could you tell me a bit about the part that you believe that the agents themselves can play in this? Yeah, so for me, it's always a bit, I see it like both when I speak about, I mean, people are super important, of course, our customer, and that's why I'm speaking a lot about customer centricity. But for me, it doesn't go without the employees themselves or the agents, the team needs, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's why if you want to be successful, I think you need to invest also a lot on the employee experience. And I think if you basically want those employees to work at the best of their capabilities, that's where you need to make sure that they have the right tools to actually perform to that level. So I think it's about the right processes or giving them the right flexibility to actually do things that they feel is important for customers. So I, I want them to have the ownership and the possibility to potentially sometimes go just a little bit of our process because it makes sense for a given customer that you don't just park them into like strong walls that cannot be broken, basically. I'm not saying that they need to redo everything, but if for some reason they feel that we should do this little extra thing for one customer, I want them to be able to take this decision. Because I think also one issue that I'm seeing now is, I mean, and I think people start to realize, but I think we are sometimes asking too much our agents or our people to work too much like bots and they are super like following everything they don't even think anymore sometimes and that's what you want to avoid because then that's where you want to use automation data bots and so on so you can take all those really simple things that doesn't need someone to think about it to go away so they can focus on those things where there is a need to actually go one one layer deeper and try to do something a bit more than just customer support where you just troubleshoot something so i think that's really important to to infuse that also in your people. And of course, it's not easy, but in the end, they are the front line. So they are the eyes and the ears of your company. So I think you also, it's some, sometimes something that we forget to leverage. We just ask them, okay, tell us what's happening and then we'll take it from there. But my perspective is that in some cases, we should even say, okay, we have some senior agents, for example, they have been with us for one year, two years. They know most likely our product much better than 90% of the company, why don't we give them the opportunity to actually fix it themselves? And for example, when, when I'm an agent, I would love to potentially uh, not apply, but say, okay, I have this thing that I want to fix. Maybe I can get one day a week to actually work on it and actually deliver that and make this project happen and make this change happen. And I think it's also kind of a way where you also give something more to your agents, not than just being an agent or a senior agent, you, you kind of create kind of a career path where they can potentially grow next to being just an agent and they can develop new skills and maybe at some point become experts or maybe they can grow into another department at some point because of what they have been working on. But from my perspective on those processes improvement, sometimes there is no better person than the agent themselves because they know it firsthand. And I think that's also where, for example, going back to the shadowing, I think it's a super good opportunity also for them to actually tell directly to a super senior manager, okay, this is what we see. Maybe you could do it like this or like try to lobby a bit in some cases. And it's just that sometimes I have the feeling that we don't leverage enough the knowledge of our agents and our support team because they are the one that see those things happening every day, every day. And they have some great ideas on how to fix it. But sometimes we... It's maybe, I don't know, a bit condescending, but sometimes we have this feeling of, okay, we we hear you, but we will take it from there because you are not good enough to solve it yourself. But they are actually, and I would like to basically 
give them the ownership to, to do it. So I think that's where uh, they can have a big impact and that's why they are so super important for, for customers report now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's a reason why people don't just have robots who are replying to customers. Mm. Reason that people have individual like humans who do customer support as well. You can't replace that individual element. These people, as you said, they speak to the customer all day, every day. They know the customers from the inside out. They know the company as well from the inside. So they have this really unique set of skills that they can apply. Couldn't agree with everything that you've just said more. And what you said about agents going into career paths within the organization in different areas as well, that's a really huge theme that I see with the guests that I talk to on here as well, because they carry with them this knowledge that others in the departments don't have if they haven't come from support. I myself made that transition from support into marketing mm-hmm. and with me this perspective of, oh, actually, I've seen that people don't quite understand this messaging that we use here, or they don't quite like this area of the club so maybe we shouldn't use that image to promote the club because it's getting a lot of complaints you know things like that little things yeah exactly and i think that's also where like breaking silos like also having this opportunity to get the agents to exchange with those departments and because i know for a fact that sometimes you as an agent you potentially can get pissed a bit and say okay that's the 10th time that i've said it maybe we should should change this messaging or change this way of doing things and we would actually avoid x amount of tickets coming and i think yeah again we just need to leverage the knowledge that those guys have and recognize that it has a value and should be leveraged yeah and that's again where this data can play a huge part because there's the quantified sort of area of it where other departments they speak that language you know your product team your data team they want numbers they want to see one for one what effect is this having Mm -hmm. agents are able to give you the um sort of the nuances and the perspective behind it so you need that level of objectivity and subjectivity no exactly so you're clearly super super passionate about this topic and you've got loads of great perspectives on this which I'm really enjoying hearing about so what are your goals for 2023 as part of this sort of cost center value center as I said that's a bit my thing right now I'm moving away from Otrium so I'm going after a new challenge but I think one thing that I realized in the past four months is that I'm really as you were saying, passionate about it. It's really something that resonates in me, maybe because I was an agent before, maybe also because of what I've seen in the past three years. And it was super interesting to see also uh, how it worked in the startup environment, which was also super different than what I've seen when I was at Google. It's different structure, different ways of working. But for me personally, I want to keep learning because there's always new things coming in. And especially right now in the past few months with everything AI related, automation, whatever, there is a lot of things that I think we'll need to get on top of to understand how we can leverage them. But my perspective is really, I want to see how I can help potentially other companies in their challenges around customer support, changing the culture around value versus cost, things like this. So I'm going a bit in between, I would say. I'm definitely looking for a new challenge, but still in this space and trying to spread a bit the word around it. And we'll see what the future holds really. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to see what you do next. And anyone listening, if you've been super interested in what Thibaut has been saying, be sure to check him out on LinkedIn. He shares lots of really, really insightful things on this topic. I can link him in the description. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate it. (laughs) 
But thank you so much for coming on today's podcast, Tibbo. It's been really, really great chatting with you and hearing from you. And you've got so many insights that I wholeheartedly agree with. And I can't wait to put this episode out. Cool. It was super nice. Nice discussion. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, enjoy the day.